Conversations with Orbita, a podcast dedicated to helping healthcare and life science organizations reimagine the patient journey with conversational AI. This is where automation meets empathy. back, everybody, to Conversations with Orbita. Uh, this is your host, Nate Trelor, uh, co-founder and COO of Orbita. Very excited about this episode number eight. And in this episode, I'm extremely happy to welcome a couple of guests, uh, Brian McKaig, uh, Chief Marketing Officer from Ascension, Wisconsin, and Az- Aziz Abdullah, who runs Empower, a uh, digital agency specializing in healthcare uh, technology solutions. And I'll let the two of them introduce themselves. But before I do, the topic of this session is really an interesting one uh, because it's really living at the intersection of technology and solutions and the reality of healthcare and the social dimensions of healthcare in this country. In particular, helping to serve underserved populations uh, through uh, clinical decision support uh, with a awareness of the social determinants of health and the role that technology can play and or cannot play in supporting these underserved populations. So we have a couple of experts with us today in Brian and Aziz who have a, a very interesting perspectives on this. I will say that um, one of the themes of this, we'll be talking about how the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic has informed and influenced and even deepened some of the disparities that we see in the uh, serving of underserved populations in healthcare and uh, an awareness of disproportionate impact. So I think these are themes that we're gonna dig into uh, in, on this session. So without further ado, um, I want to uh, ask my panelists to introduce themselves and maybe Brian, we can start with you. Yeah, thanks Nate. Uh, I'm Brian McKeg, uh, like you said, Chief Marketing Officer of Ascension Wisconsin. And uh, at Ascension, we've, re- we've been working even before the pandemic on, on reaching people where they are and, and frankly, lowering any friction that folks have to deliver healthcare or to, to receive healthcare. And uh, Aziz and I have been partnering, you know, even before COVID on doing just that. How do we reach uh, populations, underserved populations, and, and really be creative in delivering this this important healthcare, and exactly what you said. COVID has really exposed some huge disparities, but also in the, in a positive, it's really taught us at least that we can be creative in in delivering this healthcare and and delivering uh, the connection between provider and patient. In, in new ways, and, and frankly, in the last year, we've all flexed new muscles in terms of, you know, how do we uh, save time, you know, reduce cost in the delivery, but, but be, uh, be and add the empathy, as Orbita likes to say. How do we uh, bring this solution to folks that are hesitant and, and have been hesitant to see a doctor? Aziz. Why don't you add to that? Yeah, so um, again, thank you for having us today. And so 
you know, during the pandemic, I think as, as, as Brian mentioned, we had already been working in the space of focusing on reducing barriers and making sure that we could increase access for communities uh, and individuals who, who really deserve to um, have the same level of healthcare equity and, and quality of life that they deserve. And so um, to, to the point that was elevated, you know, the, the pandemic is as unfortunate as it was in, in impacting our lives. The one thing I think it became was an equilibrium for no matter what socioeconomic status, what gender, what, you know, orientation you represented, we all were impacted by this in some way, shape or form, no matter what. And so um, the, the, the unique opportunity, though, in that silver lining was the fact that big institutions who traditionally had a way of approving processes or having to do things a certain way or needing everyone at the table to make a decision, those things were happening quicker and happening with a greater sense of urgency. And so when we look at technology solutions like the ones that you guys offer, it was really, it, it became a very fertile playing ground to, to, to show that like, all right, are you ready now? You know, so we were really to, able to be creative and introduce some things within the marketplace that showed how how can we um, introduce technology and how can we do it in a way that that brings cultural sensitivity, but also do it with a sense of urgency, which had been something unique in a space that we had not really been able to ex expedite the way that we had before. And it was exciting. I mean, the, the fact we, we <laughs> I would tell Aziz, like, I feel like I'm at a startup because we could innovate and and we had the 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 uh, appetite to fail fast. Right. So we and govern, you know, state government, uh, Milwaukee city government, county government, they had our backs in terms of everyone saw the need. Uh, and frankly, you know, we knew that black and brown patients were, were being left behind. So how, you know, everyone saw the problem and it was all hands on deck. How can we uh, solve this? And, and to, to Aziz's point, I think we, in, at least here in Milwaukee, we had a great, uh, great partnerships to do this fast and just, and experiment. And we can go through some of those examples. Yeah, well, I think uh, both of you raised a point, which I think is worth um, emphasizing, which is how the pandemic has um, created and had created the mandate to fail quickly yeah. and to uh, work quickly. Um, and it wasn't really just a luxury. It was a, an absolute requirement. And uh, whether it was changes to policies and even regulatory policies with respect to things like HIPAA, and data security and privacy, which are appropriately important topics in healthcare, um, but has have in the past proven to delay adoption and rollout, rollout and adoption of certain uh, health care solutions, particularly in the digital health space, um, you know, with the pandemic. I won't say removed those as barriers to uh, rollout, but at least um, you know they, there was a clear awareness that you cannot wait. And lives are at stake, and you know we saw it firsthand uh, back in March of last year in uh, some of the work that we were doing um, that where virtual assistive technology became not just um, more of a uh, how can we create some more efficiencies in the business, but how do we actually reach patients who can't come into the physical facility. 
so it became almost uh, life and death. Uh, I don't want to over uh, get too dramatic on it, but that that was the shift that we saw. And um, you know, it's interesting when you think about it from the lens of the pandemic. But then, what you guys are looking at, and I want to hear these stories from you. How how you approach that, you know, with this uh, let's call it a little bit more freedom. What were some of the first initiatives that you took upon yourself in order to make sure one you were reaching patients outside the traditional walls of the clinical settings, but also reaching these underserved populations? What were the, what were the first things that you tried? Love to hear what worked and what didn't work too, Brian and Aziz. Yeah, uh, what didn't work <laughs> was having um, uh, a CEO or a business leader do a TV commercial saying, "Please get vaccinated," right? Or, or please come back into uh, come back to our care. You know, through trial and error, we realized that these community groups they need to hear from respected leaders uh, of their own. And, and the, the fact that, you know, uh, a big time doctor or a, a, a someone with a fancy title is, is uh, trying to be a thought leader around um, vaccine hesitancy was really, uh, really was backfiring for, for us. And, and not just us, really everyone, um, at least in our region in the Midwest. So that was a big aha was who, who who can we partner with to get uh, underserved populations to listen? Um, and Aziz, I don't know if you want to take it from there. Yeah, so I think, you know, in, in context of understanding both some of the things that were successful and some of the things that we have learned in, in, in the integration of, so, so to level set, you have this ecosystem where specifically populations that we were focused on are categorized as what you would consider unestablished patients. So yeah. for individuals who already had a provider, someone that they trusted, someone that they had been consistently seeing, you know, picking up the phone, having conversations, there was the ability to do some of that. But then when you think about, well, we need to talk to all of our patients at one time. Now you have these unique experiences where new technology had rolled out. So early stages in the pandemic where um, organizations, you know, I won't name any specifically, were like so slummy about even using text blast as communicating to their patients, we started to be able to roll out, hey, text all 30,000 of this demographic to communicate because they're now eligible for, you know, the vaccine. And so that's one example of things that we were able to do um, from the perspective of, you know, more of the established patient. But then when you look at, you know, this unestablished population, you really kind of have a, a few different segments of how we had to approach them. So to what Brian brought up, one, it was about developing trust from individuals who they knew in the community, but then how do you scale their voice and their personal interactions? Because I think healthcare has really been focused on a personalized approach, yeah. but how do you do that when you don't have a trust within the system as much as you may have in a voice? So for example, one of the things that we had really gotten into was persona development within mm -hmm. the technology applications that we were rolling out. So let's just use an example so that I'm not using specific names. We have a, you know, we're based in Milwaukee. So we, I'm, our office is in 53206. We have some of the most challenging statistics around health disparities in the country. And so, but we have some 
churches that have 3000 members who show up every week and mm. still are connected to their worship spaces. So working with that pastor to be the messenger, but then to also be the face within some of the logic based forms that we were creating to help people understand like, when do I need to get tested for COVID? So we roll out a message with the pastor who says the importance of getting tested for COVID. And then when you go to the website, he's the face that you see and you click on your pastor's face. And then he's walking you through the process of understanding the CDC guidelines on when and when not to be tested. Well, now we have our retention. We have the finishing of the form happening more uh, efficiently. And so we were able to work alongside, you know, Brian and his team, as well as a few other community-based organizations, not only to develop personal that were relatable within the community and not just, you know, blackface named Brian who I've never seen before, but, oh, this is my pastor or that's pastor, you know, such and such within my community. And we were able to use real use case, using technology, using logic-based forms to just give basic information on like, this is when you know need to go get tested. And we were able to help, I think it was 22,000 patients go through these forms that we had developed to help individuals get connected to COVID testing. And that work is also carried within some of our COVID vaccine communications as well. No, that is so interesting to hear you describe it like that, Aziz, because in our world, um, and we embarked on and supported a number of similar programs, um, not specifically targeting particular populations, more generic. And this idea of reach and trust is, is universal. I think it, it takes on different forms depending on the populations you're trying to reach, but it is a pretty universal theme, right? And um, the, uh, using a, you know, as you call them, a logic-based uh, 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 technology, let's say, approach, um, the bots that we're developing are, you know, they're intended to proxy humans, right? It's all about creating some automation. And like Brian said, we like to say automation with empathy. And um, one of the ways that when we're designing these experiences, we have to think about what is this, what is this virtual assistant? What is this, its persona? Mm -hmm. Literally, we use that exact same word. And what's interesting is about what you're talking about is depending on the population you're trying to reach, that persona can matter, really matter. Um, and, and in certain cases, you might want to wrap that persona with a, an actual real trusted figure. Um, there's some stats out there that say uh, when it comes to healthcare, um, there are some individuals who will trust uh, uh, another persona, even a virtual persona, more than they would even trust their own doctor. Uh, mm -hmm. at least when it comes down to sharing information. Uh, there's a kind of a relatively famous stat out there that says that um, certain populations of patients are more likely to lie to their doctor than they are to a virtual assistant. And um, not saying that that's necessarily applicable here, but I, I just think it's so interesting, this, this idea of a persona and trust, um, whether that's being delivered on a billboard or a radio ad or in a digital experience. Um, it's so important that that the um, the patient trust who they're communicating with virtual or otherwise so do you have um, 
were you able to get some stats in terms of engagement uh, using this approach, Aziz? Yeah, so I'll say alongside this work that we've been able to do, you know, again, one of the one of the data points was around the, and, and this number continues to grow, but over 22,000 individuals went through some of these forms to be able, and again, just to elevate the fact that the, the CDC guideline was one, but then you have the state and then you have the city who all are giving a little bit of a different message around when, how, and why you should get tested for COVID, uh, for COVID-19. And so again, just understanding some of the, the realities around the factors, when this first happened, you were, you were advised only get tested if you have symptoms. Right. Well, that was based on the fact that there may not be capacity within supply. So once supply capacities were able to meet the demand of wanting to better understand, you know, where is this happening? How is it happening? How is it impacting individuals? Then the message transitioned to you should get tested, even if you're curious about getting tested. And so having to build out um, tools in response to ever changing guidance was a, a, a unique position that we had to kind of be responsive to. And we were able to help over 22,000 individuals during that time of testing, um, get access to testing. And these were specifically non-established patients. So people who didn't have a, a, a medical home that they were affiliated with. Right. In December, when the vaccine hit, the consortium that we do work alongside of, um, we, we now have a phased distribution. So this was the first time many of us had heard about a phased approach to something being available from a medical standpoint. And, you know, so you have phase 1A and, and then the CDC is communicating their phases and then each state is coming up with their own phase. And so within the first 60 days of the COVID vaccine being available, because we were in the position within our consortium work and as Brian mentioned with the city and the county standing behind the work that we were doing, we had over 65,000 individuals use our eligibility screening tool, which was persona based to being able to implement and be responsive to let individuals know, one, am I eligible to receive the vaccine, but two, if I wasn't, signing up to get a notification when they were. And so um, personas really, we, we weren't in a position at that time to track how impactful the persona was, but we were able to see that we were really the market leader in developing responsive tools that people felt like were user-friendly. So people didn't use our city website. They didn't use the county website. They used a brand neutral website that Brian and our consortium had been working on to, to be the most responsive tool. And so the mayor stood behind it, the county executive stood behind it, and it was a really unique opportunity at that time. Okay, I'll you answer. Sorry, Brian, go ahead, please. No, I just think to emphasize those personas, you know, and I think Orbita is doing the same thing in terms of, you know, cultural competence. And, and, and for the podcast, the people listening to this podcast, this is not just for urban patients or urban citizens. It's for rural citizens too. And it's for elderly, whether you're mm -hmm. or urban. The idea that we have patients who need you know, help and they're slipping through the cracks. And, and you can be on a farm or you can be in the central city. It's the same challenge. So those personas are, that, that was kind of our secret sauce in terms of meeting people where they are and, and being culturally competent, I think was a huge win. 
and and that, and having equity and diversity at the front door for that experience, for that patient experience, it just you know it, to to Aziz's point, there was a lots of and everyone knows around the country one A one B one C then two A two you know there was a lot of confusion and it was fast. So the idea that okay, if you just need some guidance on COVID in general, please sign up. Well, you know this idea of of uh, there's confusion, there's and frankly, lots of hesitancy in certain populations just to inter, uh, to interact with the healthcare systems. You know, an easy kind of outreach is just let us let us connect with you just about COVID overall. But but it went beyond COVID because, and as you know, in Massachusetts, you know, people were not going to the ER. Urgent care numbers were incredibly down. Like, where are the heart attacks? Where are these strokes? Like. It was scary, and 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 that's the other thing in terms of uh, teamwork. You know, we had our frontline employees really saying, "We've got to, we've got to get out to people. We've got to find them. They're not coming here. We got to go to where they are." So, uh, just to piggyback on something earlier, we said it that momentum also helped um, innovate fast. Right. So Aziz, uh, you said something, um, you're basically at least two campaigns, one initially for the testing and then another campaign for uh, outreach related to and support related to the vaccine. I think you said 65,000 patients, which is remarkable. Um, the, um, just so we're clear on the, the, the aspects of the technical aspects of the campaign, you mentioned a brand neutral website, so that was promoted, and people could go to to get information, um, and uh, you know, generally be informed about the um, the testing of vaccine. Did did you also do um, proactive like text messaging? Was that what you were referring to when you were talking about uh, reaching these uh, unestablished patients? Yeah. So um, again, there were there there were a few different approaches that we were able to intersect. So the other was around P2P texting, which is mm -hmm. a, a newer software that had been developed and in and, and, and an application in response to certain infrastructures had really came down on this during the political season. So during the 2020 elections, text messaging was one of the most innovative approaches used to reach individuals. And many of us who lived through it can, can remember I mean, we, we all were getting text messages the day of the election from phone numbers we had not seen. And and it was a little uh, and we're, it was, reminder. Word was constant. We were a total battleground. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And so um, but because of our work at at, at some points in our, our past around uh, political outreach, we were able to establish P2P strategies just to have conversational approaches with individuals and then get them into what we would consider to be a funnel where it was then automated. So it started with a really personal touch to, to get the door open because Every person is is a unique individual, but then you start to get into a space where there's some common denominators, where then people are responding, and and then you're 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 able to take that conversation to a space where it doesn't have to be as hands on, 
but still has that what, what you guys refer to as empathy and what we've traditionally used around persona driven where right. the conversation is able to be maintained. So the, the outreach strategies were both inbound and outbound during those campaigns. And then having the right technology in place was what made our jobs easier and, and more efficient. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it, 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 a bit of a loaded question because, um, you know, we one of the other things that we talk about a lot is the, uh, you know, in this in this in the context of this discussion is something that sometimes referred to as the digital divide, access to technology, and uh, there's sort of a lowest common denominator when it comes to breaching people um, who may not have um, you know regular and steady access to internet. And internet services, um, but um, text messaging is pretty accessible and widespread these days, even in um, in certain underserved communities. And then, were you able to kind of you talked about inbound and outbound? Sort of the inbound would be a presence on the web. Is this what you would refer to as this uh, non-branded website where people could get directed to? Yeah, that that was the the, the inbound landing space, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, Aziz, you should Aziz share the website because I think you know for a listener they can just log on and just kind of get a look and feel for it. Yeah, it was healthymke.com. That was the that was the website um, that really became again the brand neutral space where you had a you had all health systems, you yep. had federally qualified health clinics, and you had the city and the county standing together really to be responsive. And, and that did not negate or um, cancel out the work that they were doing as individual organizations within the patients and, and networks that they had already established. But when you think about being responsive where, you know, 42% of individuals in Milwaukee not having a medical home, who and how do you reach those individuals? And that really takes a collective impact model and we just happen to be fortunate to be in the right place at the right time to be a part of uh, supporting some of the te technological response that went along with it. Right, right. And the P2P, or it's a peer-to-peer -peer texting approach, allows you to kind of tap into the, um, let's call it the, the organic infrastructure that's out there. Right. And uh, and reach the people who can't otherwise be reached um, because they're not, they're not registered. Correct. And the, the other thing I'll just identify is, as we did work in this space, and this is something that all health systems, in, including Brian and his team, really elevated, was the fact that the free broadband initiative that came out of the United States government, I think, became trans a transformational landscape for not only healthcare but all industries that are looking to be more responsive in a tech space. Mm. The, given the fact that if you live in certain populations now, the internet is free. So because that access has really opened up to your point, not only do 93% of Americans uh, have a cell phone that they have access to now, but now you that number is gonna really be uh, neutralized with access to internet as well within the next, I'd say year or two years. And so when we talk about the silver lining of COVID, those are the things that are going to impact the digital divide where in the past it, it wasn't even a conversation on the table. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I, I don't know what the situation is with respect to Internet access in Milwaukee. It, um, you know, obviously it varies depending on where you are and 
Brian made the point earlier that we're also talking about rural areas yeah. and, you know, and, and the digital divide is uh, geographic and demographic and everything in between. So uh, yeah, those, that's encouraging news, right? I think the 93% stat, I knew it was in the 90s, is something that we've seen before, you know, predicated on uh, you having the network access, one thing to have a cell phone, another thing to actually have network access. Um, yeah. Even where I even where I live in the relatively rural part of Western Massachusetts, I um, can't count on my cell phone having connectivity most of the time. Um, but uh, yeah, that's great. Hey, um, so maybe we can um, um, kind of shift out of the, the COVID uh, aspects. What do you think all this, uh, you know, the successes and the learnings from the pandemic over the last year year or so? Um, says about how we can generally deliver care going forward. And Brian, you made the point there are a lot of people who have maybe deferred elective surgery or um, have not um, yeah, I mean, aggressive about treating their chronic conditions. Yeah, we know that you know people just stopped going to the doctor, right? I mean, basic. Uh, I think that preventative healthcare. We I think we knew that preventative healthcare was broken in the US in terms of, you know, there are serious health problems unrelated to COVID that, that folks need uh, help with, certainly with chronic care. And, and when you think about, I mean, my God, you know, depression, you know, dementia, high blood pressure, stroke, diabetes, like these, the preventative work that we can get upstream and, and for a cost savings, we can, you know, if we can expand primary care or expand the primary care services, um, that's the exciting thing, I think, with, with this new technology and with this, you know, with the results of, of uh, the, crisis, the COVID crisis. Um, it's, it would just be a shame if we went back to the old way of doing things. Um, I hope we don't, but... but you know, this idea of a lot of times we wait for these wholesale changes in healthcare because so, you know, we need big things to, to shift if we're going to improve healthcare delivery. But I think what we saw, at least in Milwaukee, and I think Orbita has seen this as well, you know, don't forget about the individual needs of the patient. And, and that person, that, that uh, persona, that person uh, if we meet them and if we can pilot and if we can look at community groups, churches, um, neighborhoods, that's where uh, we can move the needle. And we don't have to wait for these large, you know, things that are just going to get caught up on Capitol Hill, then we'll never get voted out. Like we can we can we found in Milwaukee that we can make these changes, reducing time you know, reducing cost and more importantly, making it relatable. I think that's what we can do on a community basis. Yeah, I, um, that, thanks, Brian. I think um, your, your point that you made about um, people not coming in for treatment, um, you know, maybe the first reaction would be during the pandemic or just general fear about coming oh, in sure. to, to receive treatment. But it's also a fact that quite a few people lost their insurance Right through the pandemic, right, and, uh, and so whether or not they were afraid, and I think in particularly, um, you know, minority populations. I think uh, the stats suggest that uh, um, for uh, African American populations, the number of uninsured doubled 
from February of last year to the fall of uh, 2020. And the same with Hispanic populations who even historically prior to the pandemic, one in four were uninsured. So these are individuals for whom the cost of healthcare is itself a burden and um, you know an, a, a negative motivation, if you will, to go in and seek treatment. So um, I think as we look at how we serve these underserved populations, you know, the, the concerns about uh, coming into a clinic for fear of um, contracting, uh, you know, COVID, maybe even you know at this point now are starting to pale with the reality of just how do you the care you need when you're not insured. So automating that is you know one approach is you know maybe being able to reach these individuals, help them know how they can get the treatment they need without breaking the bank. And imagine, you know, automating follow-up care. So we've got your test results. Let's automate that follow-up visit, which we know is inconvenient with transportation and and scheduling. And and imagine just that follow-up appointment to hear the results, to understand what, what lifestyle, what behavior changes do I make? You know, that's so important. And a lot of that doesn't happen. Yeah. And, so, and I'll share too, you know, our, our, uh, we kind of run on a healthcare fiscal year system, right? So for our team, we're in June and we're, we're planning for July to next year, July. And so we're revisiting and, and reestablishing our, well, what have we learned? And, and how do we how do we become responsive about what we know about the future of or what we feel like the direction that healthcare is going in? Because, again, for the last year, we've had to change our paradigm and understanding of our 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 biggest pain is COVID-19. So that's what we had to address and focus on in our value you know proposition and talking with our clients. But now it's going back to what are the real difficulties and pain points of healthcare? And so, you know, there's kind of this this interesting marriage that payers, government and health providers have. And it's that they all have different interests, yet the same interests at the same time. And that's healthcare wants to save their dollar or payers want to save their dollars. Providers want you to come in, but no one wants you to really go to the ER because at that point, you know, it's costing us way too much money. And at the end of the day, the, the deductibles are being ate up and we're coming at the end of the year and we're, we're bottomed up with how this looks and it doesn't make fiscal sense. So the common goal is preventative care being more accessible to make sure that individuals are insured on a consistent basis and then to make sure that they're engaged. So yeah. then how do you make sure technology can help you do that? Because now doctors move a lot quicker because they don't they, they have to increase their volume to, to make up for some of the lower reimbursements so that one-on-one care is not as much as you'd want it to be. And so the point that Brian is bringing up on, when I leave my doctor, if I was just diagnosed with diabetes, this is the first time I've ever heard that within the community I live, wherever that is, I don't have the accessible food and me changing a behavior how do you use technology to be more efficient in mm. making that happen and have that impact and behavior change really happen? And so as we as we feel like we are going into a year where the ground is fertile for technology to be introduced to address some of the pains, it's 
is not the conversational, how do we replace your nurse? How do we replace your doctor? How do we replace the care you're giving? But it's how do we enhance what you're doing? Because at the end of the day, we have the same goal and you don't have the time to do it as a provider because you because of the economic circumstances that exist within this space. So to me, that's the real value that we have and what we've learned. And, you know, uh, unfortunately we had to go through this for that to be the case, but thank God that we have the opportunity now to introduce this. Yeah. A little silver lining here. So can you imagine Aziz, if you looked at a healthy MKE, um, and I, you brought up something I was going to bring up. So let's say, you know, can you imagine as you look into fiscal year 2022 that there's an opportunity to create, um, you know, a, an entire messaging and educational campaign about around type 2 diabetes yep. or any other uh, condition, even just maybe uh, nutrition, uh, pregnancy and, um, and child care. There's a whole slew of uh, opportunities where you can take the patterns that you've proven in terms of inbound and outbound engagement and applying them to uh, other territory. Well, it's a, so you you brought up something that I wanted to bring up, but then I forgot the point. So Brian <laughs> and I met. So the beginning of our work in healthcare, when Essential was entering into the market in Wisconsin, there were people, when you have a bigger organization entering into certain populations, people have questions. No matter if you're in an urban population, a suburban population, people are like, who is this big brand and what are you guys trying to get done? We want to know who you are. So um, the group that we are working with and Brian, I think you were just getting started at Ascension. We hosted community conversations yeah. and formatted it though under and the, the goal of better informing the community health needs assessment. So obviously, you know, for those of us that are familiar with the healthcare space, post the Affordable Care Act, in order to maintain a tax exempt status as a provider, you do have to go and conduct assessments within communities. So you talked about the fact that people aren't honest. So one of the things with their providers, so one of the things that we had thought about is, okay, wouldn't it be nice where if I walked into my doctor's office before I talked to anyone, there's a way where I could go through an unidentifiable, honest tool that would give me resources without my doctor knowing and with me being able to almost get support that they don't need to know because there's a few circumstances one if i don't trust my doctor but two if this threatens my health insurance so if i don't want to tell you i've been smoking and been having a hard time with it because it's going to impact my coverage i'm not going to tell you but healthcare they still care about you knowing they still care about you getting better. So wouldn't it be nice to use an unidentified, you know, Orbita style approach to being able to have a, an AI tool that can send me resources and my doctor never really knew that that was my problem, but still get the person the care that they need. And so as we go into what we would call reimagining CHNAs within communities who need care, how do you do it in a way where trust is removed and they can do it within their own comfort so i just thought that was something to bring up because the the trust factor is a big piece with a lot of the communities that we serve and i'll just add another example uh aziz and i when we first started working together we were helping ascension saint joseph hospital uh with their outreach and one program which is an incredible success is called blanket of love and, it, and it's, it, it's something that helps reduce infant mortality, which unfortunately 
in Milwaukee is the rate is worse than some third world countries. And some amazing groups and the United Way and the mayor's office and Department of Health, they have been working for years and years and years to lower that and done great work. But this little blanket of love program, they haven't lost one baby uh, time that they've been in in uh, in existence. So, but, but you know what that takes is is young moms coming in every week, learning about, uh, you know, child care and and. Uh, nutrition, even pre, even prenatal uh, nutrition. Um, so imagine, and, and and Aziz and I talk about this. Like, imagine if we had the technology to go out as opposed to waiting for moms to come in uh, for that for that support, that that emotional support and factual support, and then just checking in, uh, literally. How you know emotion? You know how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, we, Aziz and I talk about if, if we had a health clinic, we could have kiosks where people could just log in and just either check in or hear something, hear, you know, if they've got a question, um, if it's anonymous, that's okay. But but this idea of um, just opening up the, the, the great work that's already happening in the hospitals, how do we get that out into, you know, into the home? Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and and without uh, compromising the trust factor, right? It, to Aziz's point, can right. you do it in a way that's anonymous and so that they feel comfortable and safe about asking the questions that might they might perceive as, you know, uh, compromising in some way? Hey guys, uh, this I we could I could talk with you all afternoon. <laughs> this, <laughs> this has been great. Yeah, Love uh, but I think we can wrap up here. I. Um, I uh, first I want to thank Aziz Abdullah uh, with In Power. That's I N Power Solutions out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For uh, first of all, congratulations on all the great work you've done. Um, you know during the pandemic, and look forward to seeing some more great work come on out of your organization going forward. Brian McCaig, um, uh, Chief Marketing Officer with Ascension Wisconsin. Uh, thank you for your insights and for everything that you do. And for the audience, um, you know, please uh, follow a Healthy MKE. It's a you know a bit focused on the Milwaukee area, but there are a lot of lessons to learn and relevant applicability uh, to really, uh, I think, the world of healthcare uh, in this country and beyond. So, Brian Aziz, thank you so much for your time and all your insights. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Conversation with Orbita, and we'll see you next time.